Welcome to the West Elk Word. I'm Tony Todd, and today's guests are Chris Dickey and Will Shoemaker from the Gunnison Country Times. Will is editor-in-chief for the paper, and Chris is publisher-owner of the paper. This is part two of our conversation about journalism, the nature of community reporting, and what it takes to produce a quality newspaper every week. Thanks for coming, you guys. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Tony. Let's talk a little bit about that community angle and that community aspect, because you do see the people that you write for and that Mm -hmm. you write about Mm -hmm. in the grocery store. They are your neighbors, in some cases, even maybe close friends. How do you approach that? What are some of the unique nuances that you might employ? Maybe you could even give us a story or two as an example to ensure that you're not only covering the story as completely and fairly and thoroughly as possible, but also giving deference to, frankly, the feelings or um, reputations of members of our community. That's one of the most challenging, but also one of the most rewarding aspects, I think, of being in a small community news organization. It's, it's challenging to be writing about friends and neighbors, but that's how maybe it should be done because you don't have just this license to go out there and, and say things that maybe they might be based in fact, but they might be mean-spirited or they might be slightly out of context or something. And if you do that on a, on a regular basis in a small town, you're going to lose support. And if you lose support, then it's a slippery slope from there. And, um, but on the other hand, there are situations, and in our valley, I mean, I think if honestly, they're, they're pretty few and far between when there is something that is really controversial, really um, nefarious, but it's not very often. But even if it's something that's just modestly controversial and, and someone is involved in that and you're writing about them and you have a personal relationship with them, it just forces you to be extremely honest with yourself and you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, this is the job I have to do. Is it, is it the best for the community? Is there some good that can come from this? Even if there's going to be shards of negativity that might come back to you, of course, advertisers are involved a lot of times and, so it just forces you to have a really honest conversation with yourself over and over again. I think it's interesting that um, if if you, as Chris is talking about, can can look yourself in the mirror and say, I have been as fair as I possibly can with some of these kind of touchy situations. Um, it's always amazed me that even, you know, someone, let's say, who who may be involved in one of these situations and may not, you know, be um, necessarily cast in the best light as a result of, of, of the reporting we do. It's, it's amazed me that they oftentimes understand, mm-hmm. you know, the, the task that, that we are forced, you know, to do as part of our job. And it doesn't affect those relationships in a small community. And I, and I think that's, that's great. That's really, you know, uh, something that's special and, and unique about a small community. I think a lot of listeners would be surprised at how hard you wrestle with some of these decisions and some of the 
thinking that goes into how you're going to cover something to be as fair Mm -hmm. and complete as possible. Can you give us an example, without naming names, of course, (laughs) of a story, maybe you can phrase it or frame it in hypotheticals, of an example of that where you've really had to wrestle with how you're going to cover it to ensure that the truth is told and the community benefits from that truth, but in fact, maybe the least harm is done as a result. Hmm. Well, Tony, I've given this example in your class a couple of times, and Will, you and I have not really talked about it since it happened. So maybe, maybe now's the time we 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 get this because this is the one this is the one situation in which uh, my editor and I uh, disagreed, and um, yeah, I, I think probably the one and only time where I kind of uh, overturned a decision that that you made, Will. Uh-huh. Let's see, how do, we, how do we frame this? There was a situation several, several years ago where a small family farm, we'll call it, was, was producing a product that, had, you know, a handful of people uh, got ill from it. Mm-hmm. So is this the one you were thinking yep. of? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't an epidemic. It wasn't a huge deal. And the illnesses were relatively minor. And we were notified. It's a small town, so of course we we began hearing about it through the grapevine. Um, but then we were also notified by the by the state, I believe, Department of uh, Public Health and Environment. So we started doing what we do, and we started looking into it and reporting the you know doing the you know doing the reporting before anything was published. And at the end of the day, um, a story was produced. And on production day, which in our cycle is Wednesday, um, I had a conversation with the owners of this small farm, and I decided that the story, you know, didn't need to be published. And Will and probably the rest of my staff, including the reporter who did the work, strongly disagreed with that. But the, the kind of the ultimate deciding factor when you when you're looking at sensitive situations like this is you know will will there be some good that comes out of this reporting will the good outweigh the bad and will it will it be you know generally beneficial for the community and there's no textbook that tells you which way to fall on these things Um, reporting on suicides is another one of those there's no you know we we talk about it in the industry a lot but there's there's really no, you know, scientifically defined, proven method of doing it. But back to the situation that we're referencing here, you know, I, I basically killed the story on production day because um, I just didn't think it needed to be widely disseminated. And Will disagrees with me to this day, I'm sure. I, I, <laughs> I certainly, you know, in retrospect, I, I understand why we did it. And, and um, um, it, since then, I've, you know... Th- certainly had a lot of time to to think about it and there's there's a situation that I think exists in media in general and um, it's it's concerning to me and that is that we oftentimes look for the crime and slime type stories we seek them out as news consumers as a way to fulfill a need for entertainment. <laughs> and I think that's, it's really dangerous. And, you know, I, I, I maybe to some degree, 
um, it was that sort of urge that mm. that led me to you know think this is something that that needs to be reported that needs to be out there and especially when you're reporting in a small community you have to be really careful that that you're not doing that and and I certainly understand in retrospect Chris's decision um, and and I think that to a, a large degree if we would have run that story it would have caused more harm than than good there's um, there's the old jokes, especially in the television world, you know, if it bleeds, it leads and, and, you know, controversy sells and all of that. Yeah, you know, I can say pretty definitively now that I've been the owner of this small organization for over 10 years now that, you know, there is no core, well, there is a correlation and it's an inverse one about, you know, controversy and rising revenues. It's kind of just the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, so we we definitely don't go out seeking, uh, you know, crime and slime just for the sake of trying to, you know, boost uh, readership or anything like that. But another thing that I think journalists maybe have a tendency to kind of overlook or, or, be, or, or be just unaware of, and that is the impact that we can have on, on subjects of stories and photos. And I, and I don't necessarily mean this at like the, the big, you know, really high level kind of scenario with a public official or, or something like that, a, a high ranking official in a government organization or whatever, but even like really super simple things. I'm talking about like photos of kids. That's great, right? I mean, cute kids, they, they do sell, actually. So if we're doing, if we're, if we're, you know, airing on one side, it's probably, you know, if, if, screw the, if, if it bleeds, it leads. If, if it's cute and it's on A1, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes there, there can be so many things that we have no idea of that are going on in an individual's life. And especially if they're a teenager or a high school kid or something like that. And so we think, so we're at a sporting event or we're at a school-related event and somebody's involved in that and we're there taking photographs and we put what we think, what seems obvious is a cute picture of a, of a local youth doing something good, you know, and our intention is to applaud that and to celebrate it and to share it with the community. And nine times out of 10, that's how it's received. But there are, there are times when I've had people come to me, parents, after we did something like that, that we thought was good and positive and strong and supportive. And they were like, yeah, well, here's what's going on. And, you know, it, it, it should be something that might be, seem silly, but it actually has a negative impact on the, on the subject of, a, let's say, a photograph and when our intention was the exact opposite, that happens. And so, I mean, you can't, we don't have crystal balls and we, we can't, you know, be cognizant of all of those situations, but we just have to be generally aware. Be careful, be careful, because it might have a, it might have a, a consequence that, that you have no idea of and, and that you did, clearly did not intend. What about issues of libel and defamation, particularly in, say, letters to the editor. I know that you are, obviously, the, uh, the buck stops with the publisher, and so you pay close attention to those. Have you ever had any situations where someone has crossed the line with a letter to the editor and 
yeah. potentially yeah. defamed another community member. Yep, yeah. certainly. And, you know, in those sort of situations, um, it's, it's, it's something we have to, to certainly always think about and watch for. And when they do arise, you know, it's, it's typically something we can bring to the attention of the writer and say, you know, look, this is, this is not necessarily a road that it would be wise for either of us to go down. <laughs> so uh, we, we, you know, are going to change this um, or remove this portion of the letter. Uh, but, you know, but by and large, though, I mean, it's, it's, not, um, it's, it's not something we deal with all that much, but it, it does happen on occasion. Yeah. I can think of one really specific example that happened several county commissioner elections ago where uh, there was a letter submitted to us and it it clearly crossed the line and uh, was making some drawing some connections and conclusions about a candidate that were borderline libel i don't worry too much about libel i mean i i have libel insurance but i think libel you know, you know you don't hear about too many successful libel cases out there so people can get away with a lot that's not saying we encourage that but I, I, I can think of off, off the top of my head one, one instance where we received a letter and it was like, mm, no, 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 that's not going in. <laughs> you, you knew instinctively that that was yeah. a falsehood. There were, there were yeah. wrong statements. There was something wrong about that. Yeah. 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 You know, that being said, it's, I mean, we, we certainly do encourage a diversity of opinions and certainly don't want to, um, don't want to, to send the message that, that we're, you know, only, we're not going to print something if it seems the least bit controversial, you know, if we, we, on our opinion pages, we, we certainly try and, and, uh, get as, as, as much thought provoking, uh, material onto those pages as we can. Absolutely. Have you noticed a drop off in letters to the editor since the advent of social media? Hmm. Or do you still get as many as you always have? When it's campaign season and it's election season, I would say we probably get as many as we always have. Some elections generate more than others. But yeah, when it comes to that, people endorsing or opposing, you know, candidates or positions, that that dialogue is still pretty pretty active and that's great. Um in general, maybe you know, maybe people are ranting more on social media and less through the newspaper. Maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, we, we try to encourage those rants to be, you know, factual and well thought out and respectful and, you know, encouraging of a, of a strong dialogue, in, including and in, in particular of, of varying viewpoints. Yeah, I've never actually been asked that question before, but I would say maybe so. I don't think a lot of people know what it takes to put out a weekly newspaper week after week. Blood, sweat, of, and tears. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you Caffeine, mean that. Caffeine, sugar, yeah. boot, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to, maybe you could share with us a week in the life of the Gunnison Country Times so that folks know the cycle what you and the amount of effort and the amount of work that goes into putting out that paper and having it be a high quality paper every week our cycle starts so to speak on on thursday um that's the day the newspaper comes out but it's also when the next week's 
planning, um, a large part of the planning takes place um, for the articles we're going to pursue. Um, so we, uh, on Thursday, begin compiling, I begin compiling a list, working with reporters, working with photographers. Um, uh, on Friday morning, we meet as a staff, a newspaper-wide staff, um, and discuss those articles that are on the list. And, and oftentimes, um, our advertising uh, folks will have uh, a report on, you know, what we should expect in terms of the size of the newspaper for the coming week. Um, and you know, we, we hit the ground running and, um, photographers, reporters go attend events, uh, through the course of the weekend and as well as on Thursday, Friday night. And, and then we, uh, come back on, on Monday and, you know, start, start writing those articles and, and uh, getting them filed, and on Tuesday, um, I uh, begin editing those, and uh, you usually work through the night on Tuesday night, uh, either writing or editing, or usually a combination of both, Um, and then first thing Wednesday morning, um, we start building the newspaper, Um, the designers, uh, start laying out pages and uh, then we kind of as a team proof those pages and uh, send it to press uh, you know hopefully by uh, early in the evening and uh, when it comes out Thursday the process starts all over again that's from the editorial side of things Chris can speak to uh, to the advertising side right that's 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 one side of the house and and People often probably overlook that a, a news organization has has two sides, and there's that editorial side, and then there's the advertising side, and the cycle there um, for for the advertising team of, for us includes uh, basically myself and and my my sales manager, Liz Reyes. Um, we kind of go through the same sort of uh, process. We communicate, sit down, brainstorm, talk on Thursday. And then just kind of continually get out and about in the community, visiting with local businesses, um, talking with them, talking about ways that we can assist them in in promoting their business, promoting a, a special, a sale, a new product. We bring those ideas and those those ad orders back into our office. And, and again, we sit down with our design team. We have uh, two people in, in that part of our operation and uh, they produce um, the artwork and the graphics and the and the, the, the finished package of those ads whether they be for the newspaper or sometimes online and some of our other online uh, products and um, go through a proofing stage you know you 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 work back and forth with those clients multiple times to to get it just right and uh, then again on Wednesday, it all it all comes together, and hopefully by five or six o'clock or so on Wednesday afternoon, early evening, uh, we hit that send button. And when I say send, um, all the print products in the Gunnison Valley are none of them are are printed locally anymore. They used to be back when the Times had a web type of printing press. Um, we don't have that anymore. Haven't for about 20 years. They're very expensive to operate, and you need to really keep them running seven days a week to to make them uh, feasible financially. 
So our paper, as well as the Crested Butte News and the Shopper and the Top of the World, the campus newspaper, when it's publishing, those are printed in uh, Salida at Arkansas Valley Publishing. So when I say we hit send, we kind of literally just hit send, and we send those files to the press digitally. It's printed on Wednesday evening, and uh, our the, the Times and the news gets trucked over um, in the middle of the night on Wednesday night slash Thursday morning, and... Uh, delivered to our office, and then our distribution manager meets the truck, grabs the papers, and hits the road and spreads them all throughout the Gunnison Valley. Have the perils of Monarch Pass ever slowed or prevented the printing and delivery of the paper, to your knowledge? Not once. Not once in my tenure. I've had one instance where the paper was not delivered on Thursday, and it wasn't a a transportation-related issue. The press broke down. It's kind of a cranky, you know, very mechanical piece of large equipment. And so there's often, often, oftentimes issues with it, but only one time they weren't able to get it fixed uh, in time to print our paper on time. And so they had to outsource to Pueblo and the Pueblo chieftain. And um, they did get us printed, but they have a daily and a bunch of other things in their queue so we were a little bit late, and we delivered on Friday to that week. This was a couple of years ago. But outside of that, no, it's pretty remarkable. Um. <laughs> I, I can think of one other close call. We were trying to implement a new content management system, and uh, things were not going as well as we hoped. And uh, I think this was, what, two years ago. Um, the, the folks at the press called and, and said, I think literally you have 15 minutes, and if you don't send the paper in 15 minutes, we're not printing you. Um, that's the closest that, that I uh, recall ever experiencing near situation where the, the paper wasn't going to be printed. But it didn't have anything to do with Monarch Press. And all the while, you know, the, these this news gathering cycle and this advertising uh, cycle are going on. We're do, we're working on other things. You know, we we produce a variety of special publications throughout the year. We have a kind of a feature style magazine called the Gunnison Country Magazine. We produce some some niche magazines: one for hunting, one for homes and gardens, one for health, one aimed at the uh, Cattlemen's Days, promoting the, our Cattlemen's Days uh, uh, celebration in town. And then, you know, we're updating folks on kind of ongoing and breaking news stories on online. We're teasing content on, you know, all of those other things are going on kind of in the background while we're getting ready to uh, working on that, that main core product, uh, which is the newspaper. How many employees pull this off every week? Let's see. I have eight full-time, including myself. And then we have a couple part-time and then we reach out to, um, you know, stringers and freelancers. Um, and so at any given time, interns, um, Western's a, a great uh, source for, you know, young, eager talent for us. And we almost always have um, a student or two from the college and the high school. So there's always a, a smattering of those types of folks that are kind of out there in our orbit. And we're trying to capitalize on their, uh, their talents and their efforts. So, yeah, you know, so for Gunnison... You know, it's a, I'd say it's a medium to even large-sized business, you know. <laughs> Let's look at 2016. What's the biggest story from 2016? 
the the one that comes to mind um, for me is is the passage of of two A here in Crested Butte. Um, it's been forty years in efforts to to try and uh, stop a, a mine from coming to fruition, and you know this was a major step in that direction. The passage of this initiative uh, in uh, which would allow bonding for uh, a payment to the, the current owner of unpatented claims. That's for me. I mean, I, you know, we joke oftentimes within the, uh, the newspaper that we're, we're simply reporting on the same news over and over and over again. And to some degree, it's true because, you know, when you go and look at a newspaper from the mid 80s, you know, many of the, the topics that, that we report about frequently are, are represented there uh, even back then. So to, to see this one come to fruition, I, I think is a major, major story. Yeah, I would, I would concur with that for sure. I think another ongoing issue that has been talked about a lot in the local newspapers and is a real issue is, is kind of how the Gunnison Valley deals with success. I think in a lot of ways we've, we've been successful economically and in, in driving tourism to our valley, which is to a large degree our, our bread and butter, especially obviously up here in the north end of the valley. And there's been a lot of thought, I think, and, and discussion about managing that, not becoming a victim to that. You know, it's, it's not a single type of issue that you can point your, put your finger on, and it's, it's kind of big and broad and, and, and difficult to define. You know, the dispersed camping aspect of that, there's the VRBO aspect of that. Um, but I think, in, in a way, these things are related to our success. And um, so that's, that's an ongoing issue for sure. I'm going to ask one final question. What gets the two of you out of bed in the morning to do this every day, day after day, year after year? What's the drive? What is it about journalism and the newspaper business and telling stories in the community that drives you? I love it. I've been at this for almost 25 years now, and there's there's not a single day where I am not not wanting to to go do what I'm what I'm about to do uh, I don't you know I don't not look forward to going to work it's a it's an extreme priv- privilege to be a part such a such a central and integral part of a community it's an extreme privilege to be invited into people's lives good bad or indifferent you know from simple things like assisting a family in publishing a birth announcement or an obituary um, to, you know, to covering, you know, an important, um, you know, city council issue or something like that. Um, it's just fun. And the, the, the thing that I'll end with is that I probably, I'm not sure I would like it as much if I weren't in a community that I liked so much. I don't know if journalism would be as fun. I, I never aspired to, to, to be um, a reporter for a large metro so I could cover that crime and slime or those really, you know, super huge impactful stories. Um, I, like, I like it right down here on the ground where I can be amongst friends and neighbors and, um, and try to encourage, you know, a positive direction for a community, growth in the community, support for things that need support. And um, to be a part of that is, is it's, it's very gratifying. And um, I'm super, super grateful that I get to do it. Well, 
for me, it's um, it's something different every single day, and and I think that is is probably um, a reflection of of simply small town journalism. Um, you know, one one day I I may be editing or writing a story um, about something really interesting happening. Some someone from the Gunnison Valley uh, traveling around the world or something and uh, doing some incredible feats. The next day, it's you know a, a policy issue, which I tend to geek out on a little <laughs> bit. Um, I'll admit. Um, so it's it's never it's never the same thing. It's always something new. And um, when you kind of step back and take a look at that and realize the community building that takes place through these stories that you're telling. I can't think of, of anything that, that is more satisfying than, than that, to be to have a direct hand in, in uh, contributing to a, uh, a community's success. I didn't always know this was, was a path that I was going to go down. Um, you know, I was an English major in college, and what else are you going to do with an English degree? Um, but I fell into uh, journalism during that, that period of time, and um, I've been lucky enough for the last 10 years now to, to be part of the Gunnison Country Times. And it's, it's just a, an incredibly rewarding uh, career on, on so many different levels. Well, Chris Dickey and Will Shoemaker, thank you both so much today for joining me on the West Elk Word. Thank You're you. welcome, Tony. Thank you. That concludes this edition of the West Elk Word. You can listen to this or any edition of the program anytime. Go to kbut.org click news, then West Elk Word. Stick around. Up next, it's Planetary Radio. That's followed at 1 o'clock by NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And then at 2 o'clock, it's my favorite radio show, The Aloha Connection. This is Tony Todd for the West Elk Word, and you're tuned to KBUT Crested Butte and KGNI Gunnison. Thanks for listening. See you next time.